Welcome. My name is Yvonne Benninger-Rothschild. I'm the Executive Director of the EICC New York. This podcast is brought to you by the European American Chamber of Commerce, a platform where Europeans and Americans connect to do business. To produce this series, we have asked our members from across Europe and the United States to discuss current events and how they may affect transatlantic business activities. In addition to this recording, I invite you to listen to all of our podcasts. You can find them on our website at eaccny.com right slash podcasts. I hope you will enjoy the insights our members together with my team have put together. And I encourage you to subscribe to the EACC podcast series on your favorite podcast server and to rate and share them with your friends and colleagues. Hello. My name is Paolo Fratini Melendez. I manage member engagement at the EACCNY, and I will be your host for this Brexit Musings episode. In an interview with CEO Georges Jugeux, George will focus on the issue of financial equivalence and provide his views on what to expect from the financial sector post-Brexit. With that, I pass it to George's colleague, Isabel Verquez, a research associate at the same firm. So hello, I'm sitting here with uh, George Auger. He's the chairman and CEO of Galileo Global Advisors, and he also teaches law at Columbia Law School. And we have been working together on on Brexit for a while. And um, I'm very curious to see where he thinks that Brexit stands right now. So Brexit was a result of a referendum in the summer of 2016, when a slight majority of the people decided they preferred the UK to exit the EU. And then after years of intense diplomatic exchanges between the UK and the EU, the UK formally left the EU as a member on January 2020. So George, uh, can you explain where we are right now with Brexit? Well, as you said, uh, Isabel, it did take a long time to arrive to the point where we are. And we are now less than 100 days from the final deadline. The United Kingdom, since January 2020 is no longer a member of the European Union. And it's very important to understand that that is the case right now and that there is no reversal of it. However, there was a transition period that was set up to try to organize the work and possibly to arrive to a trade agreement. And uh, we are now a few weeks away without having really an agreement on uh, the trade agreement. And there is what I call a typical Euro cacophony about the various parties sending different messages. To the best of my knowledge, I can probably now safely say as of the end of October that Brexit trade agreement will happen. From what I know as well, 85% of the content is now written and the documents have been approved by both governments. So what we have to do now is to deal with a series of issues that are going to have to be ironed out between the parties. And uh, hopefully uh, there will not be any further hiccup on the political side. And we probably will see the negotiation going until the end of the year. And then the transition period will be extended by another two months to allow the various parliaments to take a decision and to vote for whatever agreement will have reached by the end of the year. Okay, that's very clear. And do you expect any difficulties on the national sides of the 27 European parliaments in approving this uh, final agreement between the EU and the UK? 
Isabel, the first uh, blog that I published about the Brexit was wrong. <laughs> I was absolutely convinced that the EU would never get its act together and that it would be easy for the UK to play on the divisions of Europe. Was I wrong? I have to pay tribute to the man who probably made this situation possible, Michel Barnier, because he's the only one who has been around and he represented Europe for the last four years. And the secret of his position, he told me when we met last time, is that he is going every week to one of the member states to discuss with the government, explain where the negotiations are going. Everybody, I believe, is now behind what uh, Ursula von der Leyen and Michel Barnier have uh, agreed upon. The rest is going to happen. I do not expect the politics to derail it anymore. But I've also learned that some politicians can be particularly unpredictable. Yeah, I can imagine, especially in these unusual times. So basically, after four years after the infamous vote, uh, the parties are currently discussing the details on how to formalize their relationship. And given your background in financial services, can you briefly walk us through the developments in financial services as it comes to Brexit? The reason why financial services is so extraordinarily important is because the importance of the financial services for the United Kingdom. However, after a period where there have been a lot of discussions, we now are in a situation where the financial services are following their course. But what we need to understand is that the way the financial services problems are going to be resolved is by the UK unilaterally asking the European Union for equivalency of their regulations with the EU rules. It's a procedure. It's also a unilateral right of the EU to say yes or no. That process is not part of the trade agreement, and it is going to happen under the control of the European Court of Justice. So we are now at a stage where everybody is trying to prepare for that, and it will take some time, and we hope that there won't be too much disruption in between. That's interesting. So basically, it will be on the EU to grant more access than they currently would have if there was no deal. And yes. if, you, if you think about more the, um, the impact on, on a future relationship, what do you think is the sector within financial services that is most affected? I'm thinking about capital markets, more the technology side, or banking, or insurance. The big institutions, the big banks and the big insurance companies have local companies either in the UK or in the EU and both. So that's not where I expect the biggest difficulty to happen. There is one area that seems to be still very controversial is the issue of the sale of products. In other words, the funds that are being managed out of London are they going to be able to be sold in the European Union? And they absolutely need it. And this Friday, there has been a statement made by the European Union that they do not expect to approve funds to be circulated 
in the European Union, but managed in the UK. So we will see how eventually that equivalency will be recognized. And that is where I see the biggest uh, difficulty from an institution standpoint. However, capital markets are another story. Yeah, I can imagine. And um, to what extent, on the other side, do you think that continental European firms will be able to reap some of the benefits of Brexit? They have already started to do that in a sense that they have already been relocations. So there are financial institutions who have actually moved to continental Europe or moved assets or moved people or moved activities. Citibank has a second trading room. Deutsche Bank have moved a trillion of assets. The Goldman Sachs has sent all the French people back to France. So there are a number of aspects of that transfer that is already happening. Over the long term, the question is going to be more complicated because in this equivalency system, this is not granted once and forever. So if the European Union changes its regulation, the UK will have to ask itself whether they are going to follow the UK rules, which they don't want to do, or whether they will, are willing to take the risk of not being equivalent, and in which case they will not be able to sell their products and operate from London. Yeah, and, and more on the topic of London, it seems that whatever the parties will decide, financial services is a crucial topic for the UK, given the role of London as a financial global hub but also Europe's main center for financial services. And just something we've been reading is that London accounts for about 30% of EU's capital markets activity. So with Brexit evolving and hopefully some form of deal being struck, what do you see as the future of the city of London? Is it going to be uh, the new Singapore, as some people are saying? The first time I came to London, I was a young father and our first child was three months old and I went to study banking at the Midland Bank. I'm a great fan of the city. And the city of London is a unique institution for a number of reasons, including the fact that it is the only financial center where people who speak English, i.e. the entire world, feel comfortable living. The question is whether the institutional pressure will be such that people will move to the continent and activities will move to the continent. The city of London will have to play its card very deftly. Unfortunately, they refused to take a position before the referendum. They could have said, this is going to destroy the city. They didn't say that. So the referendum went out. And so at the moment, the Boris Johnson government couldn't care less about the city. So will the professionalism, the location, the culture of London manage to keep a safe position is a question because today, whatever they say, neither Frankfurt nor Paris can claim to have a vibrant global capital market. The biggest risk of this situation is for some of the activities of the city of London to move elsewhere in Asia or in New York. So in that sense, do you expect that uh, a lot of concentration of specific sectors within finance will go to Luxembourg, Paris or Frankfurt? Or do you think that 
within Europe, there will be the emergence of a new European financial center at some point. We can take some lessons from what has happened since the referendum. And your question is exactly what everybody is asking. For some reason, all the hedge funds are in Ireland. As you know, some type of financial services went to Amsterdam. In Germany, the trading activities went. Some authorities came to Paris. But what it means is a fragmentation of the city in its components, which means that there is no single center that emerges today as having all the necessary talents, systems, and activities that could really beat the other centers and become the center of reference. That is probably the chance of the city of London to continue to be the place where everybody meets. So in that light, do you expect within London to be a more lenient climate for financial services as the UK will leave the EU framework on financial regulation? So in that sense, do you think that London will now take the opportunity to become a little bit more free as it comes to financial services? The impression that I have is that, uh, and having lived there many years, one of the great talents of the people who work in the city of London is managing to transform regulatory challenges into business opportunities. I don't know any other center who does it as well, which is the reason why the city of London is not just the center for Europe. Europe is important, but how important is London for the Chinese, for the Indians, and for the Americans? There is no alternative for them. So I expect that uh, London will continue to remain important. And I think there is a possibility that the European companies that are in London, the financial services, are going to stay there and even increase their presence because that's the closest place to go to cover the world. So that is what could work to the benefit of London. Interesting. Yeah, we will see. Um, and maybe if we go a little bit further ahead in time and really go beyond the immediate crisis that we're currently facing with COVID and everything, if we think 10 years ahead of time, when the immediate challenges of Brexit have been addressed and the UK outside the European Union is the new normal, what do you expect from the relationship between the UK and the EU? As much as I am concerned about the frictions that we are going to know probably within the first five years of Brexit, I have, maybe because I hope it, this idea that 10 years from now, it will look like an oxymoron. People will scratch their head to find out how the Brits vote to get out. And maybe we will go from Article 50 to Article 51. Maybe the UK will want to rejoin the European Union, which by that time, might include Russia, Norway, and maybe uh, Turkey. So we are in the same continent. We have the same culture. And the language of finance is English. That is not going to walk away. And by the way, many of us love going to London, if anything, because they like the city. Yes, absolutely. Well, maybe I can turn the table. Isabel. Yes. You are a young, well-educated Dutch woman of the young generation. 
how do you see Brexit? Because what we've known is that in the referendum, there were two trends. First, there were some regions who did not vote for Brexit, and I mean particularly Scotland here, and they are independentists. But more importantly, there was a complete divide where your generation has voted against Brexit. So how do you feel about Brexit now? In the beginning, I was very sad about Brexit. I thought it was very unfortunate. I love the UK. I thought it was way better if my country, the Netherlands, and Europe in general has the UK as a partner. But I think I'm hopeful for the future. I think after a lot of waste of talent and energy from public servants and everybody that worked on Brexit, I think that hopefully we will establish a new relationship with the UK that is maybe as close as it is right now, uh, just because it makes the most sense. And uh, maybe this was something we had to go through. Maybe there needed to be one country that exited also as, as an example of how difficult it is, what nobody really knew. So now we know and um, we learned from it. It didn't look that attractive, I think, when, when we look back at it right now. So I, uh, I hope that the UK will figure out a way to be very close to the EU, but then uh, in a new way. Thank you. And that concludes this podcast episode with Georges Rougeau and Isabel Verkes from Galileo Global Advisors. Thank you very much for joining us in this series. To our audience, we hope that you enjoyed listening to our program and that you stay tuned for our next podcast episode where we muse about Brexit. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from the European American Chamber of Commerce, New York. Please remember to subscribe and rate this episode and be sure to check out the complete list of recordings on our website at eaccny.com right slash podcasts. If you have any thoughts or comments about this series, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us at membership at eaccny.com to learn more about our work, how to get involved and how to join our transatlantic network.